welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Tuesday. Welcome into Soccer Morning. Here we go. We are on the air. We are live. It is underway. It is happening right now. I'm talking entirely too fast. Maybe I had too much coffee. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe I need more coffee. We'll dive into a lot of soccer over the next hour plus. We've got our friend Christian Hennage coming on in just a little while. We will review events in England, perhaps maybe even dive into the Champions League a bit because there's some of that on today. Uh, that's going to be top of mind for a lot of you, I imagine. We've also, uh, we've also got some news out of Zurich because FIFA is an ongoing dramatic uh, play that we all get to watch and laugh at. And hopefully it doesn't impact our love of the game too much. Let's start there. Let's go directly into the news. Sepp Blatter denies wrongdoing, says he'll stay on as FIFA president. Uh, that's a shocked look on your face, I'm sure. He claims that the £1.3 million payment made to Michel Platini in February 2011, part of the Swiss investigation, part of why Sepp Blatter is being looked into by Swiss authorities, was for work done in 1999. So exactly how and why is Michelle Platini being paid for something that happened 12 years earlier? No one seems to have a clue. And both Platini and Blatter are maintaining innocence here. They've done nothing wrong. Everything is on the up and up, etc., etc., because we should believe FIFA. Wink, wink. Speaking of FIFA, the FIFA Ethics Committee has officially banned Jack Warner for life from football-related activity. Again, shocked look on your face. This time, probably a legitimate one because wasn't he banned before? Why wasn't he banned before? Oh, okay, I guess we're moving on now. Finally, here's your quote, was found guilty of violations of Article 13, General Rules of Conduct, Article 15, Loyalty, Article 18, Duty of Disclosure, Cooperation, Reporting, Article 19, Conflicts of Interest, Article 20, Offering and Accepting Gifts and Other Benefits, and Article 41, Obligation of the Parties to Collaborate, of the FIFA Code of Ethics. The ban is effective from September 25th, 2015, the date on which the present decision was notified. There you go. Currently, Jack Warner is uh, hanging out, chilling in his home country of Trinidad and Tobago, fighting an extradition to the United States. Uh, recently, a, um, a um, hearing to extradite him was postponed uh, on Friday. So that's uh, still ongoing. Who knows if Jack Warner will ever face justice for his corruption in the United States of America. Speaking of big meetings featuring boards and people making muckety-muck decisions, the NASL board is meeting currently. Reports say that the, that the board is, dis, uh, is considering bids from three different groups on possible expansion cities, Detroit, San Francisco, and Oklahoma City, which, again, mildly surprising considering haven't we been down this road before, but perhaps there is a new group or a more solid group of people involved in pushing Oklahoma City as an NASL franchise. Now, of course, Oklahoma City already has a lower division team, the USL Oklahoma City Energy, uh, which I believe is still an affiliate of Sporting Kansas City. Can Oklahoma City support two soccer clubs? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not from Oklahoma City, but I would seem to doubt it. A decision it might, uh, it might be coming on the future of the Atlanta Silverbacks as well. Obviously, the Silverbacks are facing the possibility of having their fan base cut down to nothing by the arrival of MLS in 2017. There is a campaign out there, Save Our Silverbacks. I don't have a link for you now, but we will look for that. 
um, to give you an idea of, of what the campaign is on the part of Silverbacks fans. Like, there's going to be a group of Silverbacks fans who are intent on keeping that club around. They're tied to that club. They're not going to just switch their allegiance to Atlanta United FC. Former U.S. Men's National Team head coach and current Staubach manager Bob Bradley has met with the owners of Molda in Norway. This came out yesterday. Molda, a more solidly st- uh, positioned financially uh, in, in Norway in terms of, of their, uh, uh, their, their fit into the league. Let me try that again. They have a more stable financial situation at Molda than Staubach does. Obviously, so much of what Bob Bradley has done in Norway is um, worthwhile and noteworthy because of Staubach's current much, much worse financial situation, not having much money to spend. Molder right now is in seventh place in the league. Meanwhile, Bradley Staubach is in second place, currently occupying a Europa League qualification spot. If Bradley decides to take this job, it, it's got to be about the move up in terms of what resources he'll have available, not necessarily success of the club, because he has the op- opportunity to keep Staubach in second, see out the season, and go into the Europa League next year. Champions League resuming today. I mentioned that already. Let's go down the list of games. Bar- Barcelona hosting Bayer Leverkusen. That's your Fox Sports 1. All of these games, I believe, at 2.45 p.m. Eastern. Trevor, let me know if I'm wrong on that. No Messi for the Catalans, of course. Injured uh, his knee on the weekend, and it will, out, will be out for at least seven to eight weeks. Um, there are some reports out there. His brother saying he might not make the Classico, but we will see on that. I also have another tweet on NASL. Let me get to this since it's coming in. The NASL Board of Governors meeting also focused a lot on getting a TV partnership. NASL wants a national cable broadcast deal. Um, There may be some options out there for that. NASL currently online with ESPN3, national weekly broadcast on One World Sports. Individual teams have local TV deals. More on Tuesday. Uh, This is from Suleiman Fulleren on Twitter. Suleiman for the number four real if you want to follow his updates in regards to the NASL Board of Governors uh, meeting. Let's go to uh, let's go back to Champions League. Bate Borisov hosting Roma today. Arsenal versus Olympiacos. Bayern Munich facing Dynamo Zagreb. FC Porto against Chelsea. So a reunion there, obviously, for Jose Mourinho and Porto. Maccabi Tel Aviv against Dynamo Kiev. Lyon versus Valencia and Zenit St. Petersburg versus Ghent of Belgium. Yesterday in the Champions, sorry, last yesterday in the in the Premiership, Everton came back uh, from a deficit to beat West Brom three uh, two. They scored twice in the final minutes, uh, final fifteen minutes to grab the victory rather. And Romelu Lukaku was the star of the show, scoring twice and setting up Bruno Kone uh, for the Toffees. That uh, a big win. For Everton, obviously, uh, under Roberto Martinez, a club that uh, doesn't seem to to have a, a solid spot in the uh, in the Premier League's table, they're up and down. Uh, resources questionable, but currently now up into fifth place after seven matches on the year. All right, let's take a break. We'll set the stage. We'll get into that game and much more in the Premier League weekend with our friend Christian Hennage. He'll join us on the other side. Don't go anywhere. Soccer morning. WorldSoccerTalk.com.
Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We are back on Soccer Morning, and we're joined now by our friend, Christian Hennich, who covers the Premier League and English football in general, and also MLS. For many an outlet, uh, I'm not going to list them all. Follow him on Twitter, K-H-E-N-E-A-G-E. Christian, how are you? I'm very good, thank you, mate. How are you? I'm very well as well. It's, uh, so it's, it's Tuesday. We do, we do have the full... Uh, Premier League fixtures over with at this point. There, everything's done uh, for this weekend, including Everton beating West Brom yesterday. And perhaps we'll come to that. Uh, but I, I think we we probably need to start with what Tottenham did to Man City and why Man City has crumbled like they have. I think to to state an obvious point, they're missing key players. I think Vincent Company holds the defense together. I think David Silva gives them a different dynamic in attack. And I also think we're seeing in the central midfield when Yaya Toure isn't on it, he's he's a huge influence on that team. And I think we've seen that for a number of years. And, and that's something that I think almost City have, have neglected in, in recent years is that actually they need a replacement for Toure. They need someone that they can transition to in the, in the coming years because he's getting older and he's not able to, to dominate a game as consistently as he used to. I think he's he's definitely on the the downward slope of his career, if you will, and, and along with the fact that really, as I say, companies holding that defence together, mm. it it almost seems as if they just haven't got the depth they need, and that certainly plays itself out when, when players like Nasri and, and Navas are on the pitch. It's so odd to think that a, a club with that much money, who has spent that much money, could have a deficit of depth at those two key positions. I think you're absolutely right about Torre, but that, that that speaks to how how much they've been leaning on company and Torre, and, and you know so much of it. Oh, defensive company last year not as good, uh, Torre not as consistent, not as good, and that's why they weren't. That's why they they weren't where they wanted to be in terms of the title. It started so well this year. Are we are we talking about age in the case of what is? I mean, injury and age are something you should be trying to cover for. Why didn't they do that? I think they tried to. I mean, look, you know, Sami Nasri wasn't a cheap purchase. Jesus Navas wasn't a cheap purchase. They've tried to give themselves depth, depth and options. The problem is players like that haven't worked out. Mm. I think the other thing you could say is if you look at, say, Manchester United as a team that consistently kind of dominated the English league and, and were able to keep going year after year, for a good portion of that time, they benefited from the fact they had the Class of 92 in there. They also had kind of youth academy players that could come in and do a job not thrive but they could do a job and I think that's something that maybe just now we're seeing with City they have got Patrick Roberts who he's not their academy player but he's a young player that will come in and do something they've also got George Evans who played at, at some London uh, the League Cup the other week I think they're now trying to, to use this academy to actually benefit the first team whereas I think sort of pre this whole financial revolution they went under the, the academy did a lot of good work for City. You had Stephen Ireland, uh, Jordan. There was a lot of these players like Nedim Onua who even who came in and, and were a part of the first team, an active part of the first team. But because of that change in, in their kind of ambitions, it was harder and harder to get those players into the team and use them consistently. But now I think they've been able to raise the level over that time, raise the level of infrastructure, of coaching, etc., etc. And now you're starting just very early on to see the the shoots of, of that labor almost and, and see players coming in and maybe start to make some kind of difference. On that point, I'm surprised no one's pried Patrick Vieira out of that club. But also, Manchester City has, has Gladbach tomorrow in the Champions League just to stay with them for a second, Christian. And they, 
you know, obviously Manchester City struggling a bit. Gladbach started very poorly, but they've turned it around since Favre left. This is not the quite the proposition it was before, and they and obviously Manchester City in Germany with this game. Exactly, and then, you know they're not the best travellers, and, and equally the Champions League is, is not really a competition that they've they've thrived in. I think they've they've had a lot of bumps and, and tumbles, and you know it's, it's funny in that sense. A fortnight, I guess, can 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 be a long week in football. They've gone from looking like they're in a tailspin, Gladbach to. So now they've they've got those two wins and actually it's looking a bit more of a daunting proposition. I think part of the reason it looks daunting is also because City lost to Juventus and they lost from a winning position as well. I think it's one thing if if you're comfortably beaten in the way that we've seen them go down occasionally in this, this Champions League, the fact that they had that advantage and then they completely capitulate at home as well, it almost piles up the problems if you were to uh, almost a three strike effect and. That would concern me if I'm Manuel Pellegrini because there is just something about this competition in these players that they can't seem to translate it. I think part of it could be the fact that it's perhaps more technique-based and I think if you look at City the last few years, they've, they've arguably been very pace-driven as a side and you look at someone like Sami Nasri, I don't think he enjoys the technical superiority in the Champions League that he does in the Premier League and the English competitions which actually is a huge facet of his game. Uh, so Manchester City slipping into second place now by virtue of Manchester United getting a 3 nothing win over Sunderland. Obviously, it's about Martial, Martial, Martial right now, Christian. <laughs> yes, it is, and, and I can see why, because he's being influential consistently. It's not, it's not just goals with this guy, it's, it's now assists as well. He, he's opening up the space for them, and I think that's what they've needed massively. You look at kind of the, the the more frustrating game they had this season against Newcastle. It was a bit like a basketball game. They were passing around the perimeter and, and they just couldn't penetrate and get to the hole. Against Sunderland, it was a different proposition because I think Sunderland wanted to do exactly the same thing as, as Newcastle. But because you've got Martial, you've got someone who is willing to run at people and, and sees every opportunity as the perfect opportunity to try and beat his defender. And I think players like Memphis have, have not, operated with that same mentality in the opening few weeks of the season and I think as well what impresses me most about Martial is it's not just movement that he makes for himself he's also conscious of making movement for his teammates and I think that's a rare trait in players these days and I think it's one that is sorely undervalued. Uh, Big win for Arsenal 5-2 over Leicester Um, you know that uh, a uh, over here, we would say that's sort of a get healthy game. Obviously, Leicester has played fairly well this season so far, uh, Christian. And, and I don't know about surprise necessarily, but as a, te- a newly promoted team, you wouldn't expect a lot out of them. So Arsenal should beat them, even at Leicester. But it's uh, the manner in which they did it, and obviously Alexis Sanchez. I mean, this is the, the, the so bizarre thing about Arsenal. You know, where, where it's celebrating a 5-2 win, or maybe not celebrating, but talking about a 5-2 win. It was so close to them being 2-0 down at one point. Was. That was the, the turning point of the game. And I think at the minute, that is the fine line that Arsenal sit on. It's success and failure in literally nanoseconds. And it's, it's such a bizarre club in that sense. And there's such almost, it feels like a mental fragility in that side that they could end up winning or losing based on the flip of a coin. And that feeds almost into the, the wider point that players like Giroud aren't, aren't the title-winning striker or the title challenging striker that that football club needs and I think I'm, I'm loath to say they need an overhaul but I think with, with Arsene Wenger maybe 
the idea that it is time for him to, to take a step back or a step sideways or, or even up into the, the technical uh, situation, maybe that's coming to the fore now because I I just see them going around in circles and expecting the, the you know a different outcome from the the same situation and, and you know as Einstein said that's the definition of insanity. Is is uh, do you get the sense? I mean we're. we're s- you know, the Mourinho Wenger thing is is so ridiculous, Chris. It is beyond ridiculous. It makes for great tabloid fodder. They can't seem to shut up about each other, or the, the handshake thing always becomes an issue. Is is any of that indicative? I mean, I've said before, based on the way Chelsea has have played this year and some of the things that, have, that Mourinho has said and done, that maybe he's losing it a bit and he's losing his grip on that job and he's losing a grip on his. Um, I won't say his sanity, but certainly his. Uh, his confidence in that job is, is there something to that with Wenger? Maybe not just in relation to Mourinho, but in general over the last couple of seasons. Well, I was talking to, to someone last night about the, the whole Mourinho thing, and and what it is, I think he's so focused on staying in character that he refuses to break it. <laughs> and you saw that with the Eva Conera thing, where he yeah. flat out refused to even take a single step back. And and I think that's why him and Wenger don't get on because they they almost see each other as the antithesis of what they as an individual represent. For Mourinho, he's about winning. It's about success. It's about leaving a, a trophy-laden legacy. And he looks at Wenger sometimes, and I think he sees, as he said himself, a specialist in failure. Someone that, he might create beautiful things, but they don't achieve anything. They don't actually win you a trophy. Mm-hmm. And then you look at Wenger on the, the flip side of that, and I think he sees someone in Mourinho who is incredibly disposable, who mm-hmm. will talk about a player in glowing terms, let's say John Terry, for example, and then ditch him the second he starts to look like he may not be useful in the same way that he has always been. And I think with with Wenger, in terms of them losing their respective control, I think it is for for very different reasons in that sense. I think for for Mourinho, it's a case of he can't do the long term and he can't stay the course because he is. He's too disposable. He's, He's someone that... When he leaves the club, he rips the roots up, as, as Rafa Benitez, his wife, alluded to. Whereas with Wenger, I think it's a case of he needed to leave a while ago. And he's almost stayed too long, whereas Mourinho hasn't really stayed long enough for what he wants to achieve. And I think in the, the case of Wenger, he, he does need a change of scenery because at the minute he's almost, he's almost too stubborn in the sense that he's refusing to accept that the team he has now and some of the players will not deliver a Premier League title. Yeah, you know, um, while I say it's ridiculous, and it is, I am still fascinated, and I do enjoy Wenger and Mourinho being opposite sides of that philosophical divide that we get sometimes. The the coach who will do whatever it takes to win, he will be as he, he he's pragmatic. He, uh, he he doesn't have a problem playing ugly football to to win a match or to win a, a trophy uh, against somebody who maybe is too committed to the to the beauty, as you said. Yeah, I, th- I think that's what I mean. One of the things that we kind of define Arsene Wenger by was the, the beautiful football that Arsenal once played, the, the passing and moving and the intricate team goals. I was just saying to someone last night that there will be a generation of Arsenal fans that do not remember him as the invincible, building, title-winning manager. Mm-hmm. They'll remember him as someone who made mistakes, cost them things, and didn't progress the club forward. Look at the way they, their expectations have regressed from constantly trying to win a title to seeing fourth place as a trophy in itself, as an achievement. I completely agree. Getting into the Champions League so consistently is an amazing achievement. But when you 
contextualise it with what they achieved very early on, getting to a Champions League final at one point under him, it has gone backwards. And I think that's the difficulty, is that when you've had someone there for that long who's essentially elevated the club into this new stratosphere and then maybe dragged them back out of it again, it is incredibly difficult to, to sever ties with someone like that because there is still a human element there. And I think... You know, we forget that, that yes, there's, there's business decisions, there's hundreds of millions of pounds on the line, but at the end of the day, everyone involved is a human being and everyone involved has emotions and feelings about people and situations, and it can make those toughest decisions even harder to make. Yeah, you know, I, again, I think it's, 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 an, it's incredible to imagine that Arsene Wenger's existence and the way he goes about his job is so offensive to Jose Mourinho that this continues to roll on. We'll move on from here. I just, I do enjoy the fact that within this game, there is room for both of these characters that people are, are, are so committed to the beautiful game side of things, whether Wenger is still uh, adherent to that or not, he still has that reputation, that they will say, well, it's not worth winning the way that Mourinho does, which, again, is, is fascinating to me and something unique to this sport. All right, let's, uh, let's briefly, I, I guess if we're going to stay on Arsenal, what, what I'll do is I'll turn to their Champions League game against Olympiacos today because they beat Leicester 5-2, and as you said, they were very close to going down 2-0 in that game. They could easily throw up a, a terrible performance tonight against Olympiacos at home, and no one would be surprised. <laughs> Again, a bit like City, the fact that they lost to, to Dinamo Zagreb won't help them in the sense that it puts an extra mental pressure on. Um, you know, Olympiacos are in good form. I think they're, they're unbeaten this season in the, the Greek domestic league. And perhaps on paper you think that there's not a huge test there because the players aren't of the, the quality of Arsenal. I think there's enough in there to cause them problems, though. I think there's enough of a shock factor this Olympiacos team um, to try and do something. You've got players like Brownie Dye, for example, who I think, while poor at West Brom, could still do something. I think the difficulty Arsenal have at the minute is they're constantly trying to convince their fans that they're going somewhere and that they're, they're achieving something. I think you take maybe Chelsea as a good example. Mourinho doesn't really have to try hard to convince Chelsea fans that they're going to achieve something because he's already won a league title in the spell that he's been with them now. He won two before. There's there's proven success there already. So you don't feel as as nervous or kind of unsure on, on taking the journey with him. The problem for Arsenal fans is that bar the FA Cup, which I, I don't think is, is held in as high esteem as, say, a Premier League title, even a Champions League title, there's been no notable success there. And so each year, each season, with maybe the occasional new player, in this case, no new play, outfield players because they were the only club in the top five leagues not to sign an outfield player, which is another bizarre thing we could discuss another time. It just makes it that much harder to get invested mentally and to go along and to cheer and get involved. And I think that in turn bleeds down to the players. And the Emirates can be a very daunting place if it's quiet. And I think too often it's quiet and that tells you something. that It shouldn't always be about the fans jeering up the players. Actually, there's, a, there's an instance where the players need to spark something from the fans, a bit like what we saw on, on Saturday with, with Newcastle and Chelsea. Yeah, coming to that game, um, you know, clearly still trying to figure it out at Chelsea. Um, they're, they're in 14th place. They have eight points from seven matches. That is not where we expected them to be. And certainly we didn't expect them to, we wouldn't have written down a draw against Newcastle when we looked at the 
fixture list out of the season. So what what is the current issue? I mean, obviously you have the the recent drama and Diego Costa and everything else, but what's the current issue right now? In an, in an almost ironic way, it's a bit like Arsene Wenger. He he's ignoring some of the same issues. I mean, Cesc Fabregas is someone he continues to play in the central midfield role, even though he doesn't defend. You saw it on the the corner where he's, he's marking Junior Vinaldum. He lets him slip away. He's not someone that likes to turn around and face his own goal. He's someone that purely plays kind of forward. That's it. I think in terms of the striking options, I think he's developed an issue now that um, he's understanding that outside of Diego Costa, it's looking difficult to see a real consistent striker. And he's trapped in the, the situation whereby because he's so loyal to Costa and plays him night week in, week out, when he has to bring someone in, let's say Falcao or even Remy, He's giving them 20 minutes, 25 minutes. And particularly in the case of Remy, it's very hard for him to build up form without continuity of playing time. He's not someone that can come on and be an impact sub. I mean, I watched him for, for a whole season when he was at Newcastle. And it did. It took him a, a little bit to get going at Newcastle. And, and that's because he's one of these players that needs to be trusted with regular minutes. And I think you, you see that maybe a lot of top four clubs where... They do almost have this talismanic striker who starts for them, who is the, the main man, if you will. And it's so hard to find those backup guys. But the only example, and I've, I've tried to go through this with a, a few different clubs, the only example I can think of was Manchester United in 99. And they had that perfect four, Sheringham, Solskjaer, York and Cole. Mm-hmm. And they were just so reliable. I mean, the best example is the Champions League final, where you have York and Cole, and then Sheringham and Solskjaer come on. And they score the winning goals. And it's, it is it's very hard to, to build that dynamic of strikers who can support each other and, and operate in very different roles but still produce similar levels. Mm. You, have a, you obviously have a selection issue at a big club like, like Chelsea. You, you, a, a striker wants to go to a big club. They also want to play. It's, it's a, anyway, um, it's why getting somebody 19 years old like Martial and bringing him in and giving him all that time is obviously going to benefit Manchester United in the long run. Uh, so let me flip that over and, and talk about Newcastle. The point's not enough to get them out of the relegation zone, uh, Kristen. And, you know, we've talked about the uh, the managerial situation and whether or not there might be a, a change that seems un- unlikely based on many factors, financially being one of them. Is Newcastle going to eventually get there? I, I know we've talked about this before, but this has to be a boost. It is a boost. I mean, they, they put effort in, they put kind of, Endeavor, and I think really the, the difference factor was Mitrovic. Not just him geeing up the crowd, but also the fact they had someone to hit with the ball. He played very well in the sense that he held the ball up. Yes, he lost it a good bit, but he was being kind of shadowed by two, two very, very good defenders. And I actually thought he dealt with Kurt Zuma quite well and, and really muscled up against him. And I think against lesser sides in the league, I think he could really have a field day some, some, some weekends. And the thing you have to almost keep in mind with Newcastle is it's a little bit concerning, almost like Arsenal, how much they can flicker from being completely on point, up against it, battling against the champions as if there's a title on the line, to the ineptitude of Sheffield Wednesday in the League uh, Cup, of the ineptitude of, of Watford where they gift them two goals, arguably, in the first half. That's something that, that Steve McLaren needs to hammer out so that they never slip back to that level. And I think... I think the players now understand that, that actually you can never go back to what you were doing earlier in the season because you have set a line now and a, and a barometer 
for, for where you need to be every week without question. All right, let's talk about the surprise package so far, sitting in third place. Yes, seven matches, very early days, but still West Ham up there. They ended up with a draw against Norwich this weekend. Probably not what they wanted to keep that momentum going, but uh, it is still, it's still bright and sunny uh, in West Ham right now. It is, and I mean, it poses an interesting question because we talk a lot about finances and FFP and breaking even. West Ham have openly admitted that they're going to make a loss this year financially. And so you weigh that up against the fact that they've signed some very good players, already they've played some brilliant football. And you say, well, do you admire that in the sense that any other business that kind of just accepted they would make a loss would would kind of be you know looked at with a, an evil glare? Whereas in football, it's such an alien concept in that sense because actually, as I say, they've gained very good players. The likes of Dimitri Payet and arguably players that, that will fill the Olympic Stadium for them, you could very easily argue. And I think the thing with them is that they're still trying to to make it so they can perform against the lesser sides in the league. We've seen them go to, to Anfield, to the Etihad, to the Emirates and win. That's brilliant. I think they're suited to that style because they know that those teams are going to play very narrow and they know that they can almost compact themselves in and limit their passing opportunities. But against teams like Norwich, who are going to get it a bit wider and keep it a bit more stretched, they don't seem yet to really have that. And I just wonder if maybe it's an issue of the few new players that they've got kind of bedding in and trying to, to forge a team. But in fairness, they, they did make some, some errors as well. I think the, the Robbie Brady goal kind of typified that. And it was definitely a case of them hanging on. I think the, the, it's quite funny that the, the fact that West Ham got that late equaliser was because Johnny Housen saved a pigeon on the pitch. Had he not done that, I think the game would have ended a minute earlier and, in theory, they would have ended up losing 2-1. So it's it's a fine line, but I think there's a lot for, for West Ham fans to be proud of. I can't see them maintaining it for the season. No, I think they'll they'll slip maybe back a, a few places come well, Christmas. Okay, so to, to a wider perspective, you're talking about them uh, making a loss this year and admitting as much... There are obviously so much of, of what's going on at West Ham is, is going into that new Olympic or going into the Olympic Stadium um, when completed. What what impact is that going to have on West Ham? And, and is that a, for for you? Is that a good fit? I think the impact it has is that how much are you guaranteeing the long term future? That's the impact. I think they're going into a, a massive stadium as well, and one that I don't think they'll fill personally. I think if it was Tottenham, they might get closer to filling it. I stress closer. And the thing with West Ham, and it's something kind of I've said a few times, is that I mean they paid 17 million for Andy Carroll, they paid 11 million for Matt Jarvis, who's now on loan at, at West Ham. There's been almost a culture of waste at that football club in terms of money and throwing money at players. And and even now, their squad is massive, absolutely huge. And yeah, a good portion of those players are academy and reserve guys. But we saw how active they were towards the end of the window. They got Moses, they got Antonio, uh, they got Jelovic. It's just too much. And I, the concern is, is that if, for example, they don't start to fill that stadium or you know, the, the results go bad and, and maybe fans stop showing up as, as much, they could be in real trouble. I'm just not sure how they expect to recoup that money unless it's to sell one of the players that they've bought. And then that takes away from the team and it it almost puts you back at square one and you question why you did it in the first place because 
they got themselves into the Europa League but couldn't deal with it. Mm. Now, if that's the plan, is to swell the squad so that they can deal with the Europa League, fair enough. It still raises concern, though, that how you're going to make that money back because I do think you need to be conscious of, of FFP and, and equally just your own kind of balance sheet and keeping that in order. Uh, let me let me come to Liverpool before we run out of time here, uh, Christian, and, and just, uh, you know, again, the ongoing saga of, of Brendan Rodgers and his status as manager at Liverpool. They beat Aston Villa 3-2. to two. Um, Give me a, a, current, uh, a current status report on, on how you view uh, Liverpool at the moment. And, and Brendan Rodgers, who, again, he, you know, his grip on that job has been, seemed tenuous just in, in the sense of his own belief in himself, and now he's out there making statements about him being a better manager than he was when he nearly took Liverpool to a title. I think Liverpool as a team are in a transition period in the sense that they're trying to decide how they want to play tactically and, and forge an identity for themselves. I think they're not a possession-based team, but they're also not a team that is direct in attack like they used to be. And I think there's certainly issues with the way they're playing right now. And you saw that with the fact that Gisted got got two at the weekend against them. And their defence was, again, really kind of rickety. And it's almost the, the finger-pointing that, that strikes me when I see them concede. It was the fact that when Gisted got his tap in, Chan's kind of looking around and pointing everyone's kind of looking for someone else to blame. And I think, in terms of Rodgers, it's a similar issue in the sense that I think he's trying to find an identity. I think when he was at Swansea, he kind of consistently mentioned Jose Mourinho and told anecdotes and stories about him. And I think there's times he's trying to be like Mourinho. I think there's times he's trying to be that big club manager. And the problem is is that you need your own identity. You need your own kind of persona, if you Seem to have lost Christian Hennage. All right, I'm not sure why that happened. Uh, may have been a Skype issue right there in the middle of an answer about Liverpool. I think um, we'll just go ahead and let uh, let Christian go. My apologies to him. My apologies to you guys for the interruption there. Um, thanks a lot uh, to Christian. By the way, follow him on Twitter, K-H-E-N-E-A-G-E, for a fuller explanation of his thoughts on Liverpool Football Club and their current status. And Brendan Rodgers, and what he's doing. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll reset. We'll get you guys on the air. We'll talk about whatever's on your mind on a Tuesday morning. It is Soccer Morning, and it's on WorldSoccerTalk.com. We, uh, we'll be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We're back. It's Tuesday. It's Soccer Morning. The phone lines are open at 646-832-3909. 646-832-3909. All of you regulars have the number saved somewhere. It's written down on a post-it note. It's in your cubicle. It's in your phone. It's in your head somewhere. So use it. Please give me a call. Let's talk about, let's talk about referees pulling guns. If you have not seen this video, there's a there's video out there of a an amateur game in Brazil. The referee gets kicked by a player and proceeds to pull a gun. 
apparently he's also a police officer in addition to being a referee. That's not cool, though. Let's 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 not let's not do that. We've already had we, we had a referee. What was it? Murdered. Was that last year or the year before? It's been a while, but there was a, there a, like mem, like murdered and dismembered. I mean, being an amateur referee in Brazil has got to be one of the deadliest jobs on the planet. Uh, and maybe I kind of understand why the guy pulled a gun after being kicked. But yeah, let's try to keep the violence out of the game, man. I mean, I, I, referees are just packing in Brazil now. Again, maybe you don't blame them necessarily. We've had we had a ref die in this country because he was punched. Let's the the referee look. We don't like referees generally speaking. Referees get a get dogged and hated on. They make bad decisions. I, I know Vancouver fans are pissed off at referees this weekend. There's other other games that have been affected. Consistently, referees are hated on. But we can't. Look, you can't. You can't. You just can't. You have to stop. I. It's got to be such a hard. Why would anyone want to be a referee? This is this is how we hurt ourselves as fans. We hate referees. Those referees are terrible. Referee, you know, bleep your mother. Okay, now you're never going to get another decent referee because who's going to want to be a referee? It's just not going to. I mean, we we consistently complain about the standard of refereeing in MLS. We need more referees. We need better referees. Okay, well, why would anyone want to be a referee? I can just imagine like getting to the point where maybe you're on the verge of becoming a referee for professional matches, whether it's USL, NASL, MLS, and you just think to yourself, do I really want that? If it, is it really worth it for me to go out there, run around for 90 minutes, potentially make a call that pisses somebody off and be accosted and and called horrible names and have my family brought into I mean I mean players have to put up with this stuff too, but it's usually at least they have some support. Referees get it from both sides. Six four six eight three two three nine zero nine is your phone number. Also seeing news out of I guess these NASL meetings that uh, they're looking at major TV markets such as Philadelphia and Boston. Seems to be a lot of rumor right now around the approach for the North American Soccer League. Clearly, getting a major television contract is top of mind. They need to get, when I say major, I mean a, they need to get their league on a, on a cable network available to millions of people on a weekly basis. And right now, they don't have that. Richard and Philly, what's going on? Hey, Jason, how you doing? I'm doing well, man. What's on your mind? Uh, I didn't. I didn't listen to the beginning of the show. But is there a show tomorrow morning? Yes, I will be here tomorrow morning. I'm leaving in the afternoon. Okay, cool. Um, the question is about the NESL. Uh, I guess we're talking about. I guess it's today the biggest day in NESL history. You think with the board of governors meeting? I, I mean, it could be. Uh, I could be. They're gonna if they're gonna decide on some sort of direction. I mean, look, they can have a meeting and and come out with some announcements, but it, not, it might not mean anything. If there's anything we know about NESL, they can plan something and have it fall apart pretty quickly. I, I, that doesn't mean that they're not headed in the right direction. It just means, based on the evidence of Virginia and Oklahoma City pre- previously, you know, let's let's just wait and see a little bit, Richard. Oh well, I, and I guess if since it's Atlanta, so I just assume then the Silverbacks are staying then. Oh, and Atlanta too. I, I I don't know what the deal is with Atlanta. Um, I think that 
NESL has to be careful. Um, I think that there's this this thought in the within the league that they have to stand up to MLS and that go out. Obviously, that's that's part of what the league uh, first division status thing is all about. They made noise about being first division and, ch- and challenging MLS, and yet you. So if they decide to keep the the Silverbacks going and maybe back them with league money, and then the Silverbacks eventually fail because they're too too far in the red. That's a bad look. So I think they should be careful about that. All right. Um, Case on you get tomorrow. What's, what's your, what do you think for the Open Cup final? I think, I think Sporting probably wins, but uh, uh, it'll be tough. <laughs> I mean, I think maybe, you know, we, we could see 1-1 one, one and, and extra time. I mean, I, I, All I, right. yeah, I, mean, I, think the, I think obviously Philly fans should have hope because this is MLS. These are two MLS teams. Anybody can beat anybody else. There's a lot of interesting elements coming into this game, including – you know, Philly nearly, you know, being in the final and nearly winning it last year, having an opportunity to get a trophy. Not really much else to play for in Philadelphia. I don't think playoffs are, are realistic at all. Go for it. I mean, hope Curtin really throws everything at the wall, and I hope the fans show up in big numbers. Do you have any notion of how many people are going to be there, Richard? Um, I believe the supporter section sold out, but at the rest of the stadium, I, I don't think it'll be too big, but I don't. Uh, that's that's the last I heard. That was a week ago, though. So yeah, sure. I, I don't I don't know that ticket sales have been brisk um, at PPL Park for that match. Thanks for the call, Philly. Uh, sorry, Richard. You got anything else? Cause I called you Philly. Um, no, that's it. Just bring back a T-shirt from vacation. That's all. Okay, all right, man. Appreciate the phone call. There goes <laughs> right. Richard in Philadelphia. Uh, yeah, if you if you guys didn't uh, didn't know, we'll we'll go ahead and fill you in here. Take the opportunity since Richard mentioned it. I put it out on Twitter. I'm taking a brief vacation. I'm going to be gone starting Thursday. So Thursday, Friday, Monday, right here on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Jonathan Tannewald uh, from Philly.com will be filling in for me. He'll be doing an excellent job. I'm sure he did. He did a fantastic job filling in for me last year when I had to take some time away with my kid's illness. So I expect everything to go incredibly smoothly with Jonathan. I do believe we're working out the, the details to make sure he can take phone calls and the like, so just stay tuned. Don't have to go anywhere at, uh, at uh, 9 o'clock on, um, on Thursday morning. Thursday, Friday, Monday, I'll be back on Tuesday. There you go. All right, 646-832-3909. Stephen weighing in on this referee comment. Refs, I think, are two of the three. Masochistic, <laughs> optimistic, or reminiscent, meaning they want uh, that's the next best thing to playing. Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, referees are referees because they can't be players. I, I think that's fair. And I don't think that that's necessarily a criticism of referees. They want to be around the game. They want to be part of the game. They want to be involved in the sport. I hope that you love the sport if you're refereeing. Otherwise, what's the point? It's not, it doesn't pay enough to, for you to put up with that mess. And that's the other thing is... A lot of these guys aren't making enough money to have to go through what they go through. And again, this isn't to let them off the hook if they make a bad decision. It's just it's part of the whole picture of refereeing, both in this country and around the world. CONCACAF, COMBOPOL, UEFA. You, you, there's clearly a problem with getting people willing, and, willing to put up with the abuse that comes with being a referee and then being able to turn them into competent referees. All right. Six four six eight three two three nine zero nine. We've talked a little Premier League with our friend Christian Hennage. We got Champions League coming up today. Uh, I don't know if I'll be able to watch any Champions. I'm a little sad about that. I got preparations. I got stuff going on. I got I got to get ready to go on a, on my trip. So I I don't know if I'm going to watch Champions League today. But if you were going to pick a game 
to watch today. Trevor, what's your pick? I mean, you know, if you had access to all of them, because I think a lot of these are on like ESPN3 or Fox Deportes and stuff like that. Uh, is it Barca without Messi against Bayer Leverkusen? Chelsea Porto. That's, yeah, yeah FC, uh, FC Porto hosting Chelsea is probably the winner there for a lot of reasons, both because it's Mourinho returning to Porto, but also because Chelsea is a disaster in a lot of ways right now. I mean, a disaster relatively speaking. If this doesn't get better, where, where does Chelsea end up? What do they do if this doesn't get better? Because when we talk about a top four English Premier League club struggling, what does that usually mean? It usually means that they're in fifth or sixth or seventh or maybe even mid-table for a little while before they climb back up and, and secure their usual place. I mean, Manchester United had a year in seventh place, and that was a shock. That was a disaster. That was abhorrent to Manchester United fans. We have to make a change. This is terrible. We can't, we can't live this way. We're not used to this. I'm accustomed to a certain lifestyle, sir. In this particular case, Chelsea is way down, 14th. Now, I don't expect them to stay in 14th, but let's imagine a world in which they do. Let's imagine a world in which Chelsea Football Club is wallowing in a bottom five, six, seven spot come Christmas. What happens? Does, does Jose resign? Does Abramovich pull the trigger and pull the plug on him again? And then where do you turn? I mean, you know, Chelsea has, in re- the recent past, gotten by with what a lot of people would say were questionable managers, whether it's, um, uh, I'm, I'm blanking on names here, but you know who I'm talking about. Chelsea has gotten to a Champions League final with, uh, with, with coaches that, yeah, Avram Grant, that's, there you go, that's the one I was trying to pull, and uh, is it DiMatteo? Roberto Di Matteo. So you, you, you've, they've managed to have these sort of full-time caretakers, for lack of a better word. Let's just call it that. And they've gotten by, but that's been, uh, you know, the, the overwhelming talent of Chelsea got them by. We've seen that they have issues in more than a couple places right now. Can they address those come Jan- January and and? salvage this thing or is it going to be that there are going there's going to be some serious hell to pay for Mourinho for everybody at that club I mean when you have and Christian mentioned it the the nonsense with Eva Carnero what the what the heck well I mean what the hell is that like what is it about Mourinho now in 2015 after winning a title coming back to Chelsea being uh being back to Jose in England and and where he where he's most beloved that the club where he says he's most comfortable what is it about him that now it's it's all slipping away and he's doing he, he's doing things to himself he is sabotaging himself in a lot of ways Christian put it on Jose refuses to drop character Jose can't let it's like can't drop his facade for one second and maybe that's what it is and when you are when you're that committed you don't know where to stop you don't know where that edge is and you go over the cliff and maybe they're not over the cliff yet probably not seven games in but how many of you had Chelsea with three losses right now How, how many of you did 
Tyler on Twitter, Mourinho said if they aren't competing for titles in these competitions, he'll start to play the kids. He said, I'm ruthless. Okay, and if he does that, he ch- he plays the kids, and Chelsea settles into a mid-table position. Again, this is Chelsea. This is ex- expectation central. If you don't compete for a title, if you aren't a Champions League, you're nothing. You're a failure. That's true of Manchester United. It's true of New City, although they can't get it done in the Champions League. It's, do- it's true of Arsenal to a point, although we've obviously had adjusted expectations at Arsenal. Never good enough to win a title. Always good enough to go for fourth. What happens? Burn the whole thing down. And Chelsea, because of the stakes involved, not just the fact that they have Roman Abramovich, a guy notorious for being um, you, you know, a hard-driving sort of owner, they have... They are now of the status in the the global sense that they have to maintain their position in order to maintain their momentum, in order to maintain their fan base and sell jerseys across the, the world. Now, they're not on the level of United, and they're not on the level of Arsenal, probably, and they're not on the level of... Uh, is there anybody else in that mix? Liverpool. They're not on that level, globally speaking. But they're not far behind. And the world of big-time soccer now is that you can't just be focused on what you're doing at home. You can't just be focused on winning Premier League titles, although that's necessary. You have to be, you have to be global in your mindset, in your activities, in your titles, whether that's the Champions League and the World Club World Cup and spreading your, your name and your brand around the, the world so that, you know, so that little kids in China are desperate to buy I guess a Diego Costa shirt, <laughs> maybe a Cesc Fabregas shirt now, uh, an Oscar shirt. I mean, they can't just deal, if you know what I mean. All right, 646-832-3909. Robert in California, he's dishing a bunch of tweets at me, says he can't call. So let's, uh, let's go through these since he, uh, since he isn't a, uh, a shirt number wearer on this show. On yesterday's talk on European talk, what... What a lot of people like is the excitement of teams fighting to stay in the league. You see people cheering that they survived going down. Those fans cheer like they won the league. Uh, Euro single table. They are, there are leagues within a league. Champion, blah, 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 blah. Creates drama everywhere. Can't call in today. Hope that made sense. I, I guess what we're saying here, uh, you know, we were, we were talking a little bit about parity and about the way MLS operates. And, and clearly, MLS choosing a different path from a lot of the world. And while there are legitimate reasons for that, there is an open question as to whether or not MLS needs to tra- change its tact to continue its momentum, whether people will eventually get tired of sort of everyone being pulled to the middle. And Robert does make a good point. In most European leagues, at least the, at least the big ones, there is a sense that you have, well, you certainly have multiple competitions and some, you know, obviously relegation becomes a competition of its own. If you finish 17th, you throw a party. I think that's depressing as hell. Now, I can enjoy it in a European context, but I don't necessarily know if I have to have it here in in MLS. There is the element of the league within a league. Finishing fourth in the Premier League is a big deal. Why? Because it gets you into the Champions League qualifying round. MLS sort of lacks that drama and intrigue coming down the stretch of the season. All we've got is going for the playoffs. That's it. 
seating, I guess, matters, but very little in terms of how interested we are. So if an MLS has in the past attempted to create these league within a league situations, they did the Superliga for a while. I can't even remember who qualified for Superliga. But it wasn't the MLS Cup winner. I think that was more like a, it was supposed to be a Europa League kind of feel to it. And we have Champions League spots in this country, I mean, for these leagues. Um, and Champions League spots go to MLS Cup winner and runner-up and, and, uh, and U.S. Open Cup and, um, and Supporter Shield winner. And that's great. But because it's, there's no single table, you don't, have an, you don't have intrigue about who's getting those spots. You just know that the, team that's going for a t- the two teams going for a title are in that competition. And yeah, they should be as the Champions League moniker holds true, but we don't have a race for that spot. There's not a, there's not a oh my God, who's going to finish in fourth place? Oh my, who's going to get that last? Can Tottenham get back into the Champions League? Is Everton ever going to go back to the... That doesn't exist in MLS. The problem, I think, for a lot of people is trying to encapsulate, keeping MLS within MLS in terms of our thought process. Does it need to be like those things? Is it necessarily better in Europe to have those leagues within a league? Or is there an alternative that is just as good? Some, for some people it is, for some people it's not. I've sort of made my peace with it. I'm very much, this is what it is. Let's enjoy it rather than let's break it down and discuss every single possibility of how we could change it, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the league has to keep growing and they have to keep moving. And Chad's bringing up the the playoff seating situation. MLS has three tiers. Playoffs, wild card at home, wild card qualifying, seventh missed out. Dogfight for those tiers. Those tiers now. Okay. Is MLS as interesting? Is MLS at the sixth, seventh spot? Montreal Impact trying to hold off Orlando City in the east. Portland Timbers, one point ahead of San Jose in the west. Is that as interesting and as intriguing as the fight for seventh to get into the Europa League? The fight for fourth to get into the Champions League? The fight for 17th to stay up? You get to decide. As a fan, you, you get to decide if that's the case. If you're a fan of, the, of, of Orlando City... Well, yeah, of course. Now we got to go win every game. We got to have a if we're gonna have a shot against Montreal. He's got two games in hand, man. We gotta, we really gotta fight this thing out. If you're a San Jose Earthquakes fan, same deal. If you're a, a a Portland fan, you're just hoping to hold on, and there's intrigue there. But for everybody else, are we watching the league that way? I don't know. All right, last chance six four six eight three two three nine zero nine. This is literally your last chance to call in. Get in. We'll set the stage. Again, reminder, I'm going on vacation a couple of days, but I'm, I'll be here tomorrow morning, so no, no in, uh, disruption in normal service tomorrow. Jonathan Tannenwald will be your custodian taking you through Thursday, Friday, and Monday, and he'll have plenty to talk about because we've got Olympic qualifying starting on Thursday. We've got um, – there, what else is out there? I mean, there's obviously Champions League happening today, tomorrow, that he's going to cover. Uh, the MLS races are tight. He'll have plenty to talk about there. U.S. Open Cup tomorrow night. John's a Philly guy. Philadelphia Union having a chance to go for their first trophy against Sporting Kansas City. Sporting who is who has won a U.S. Open Cup. Was that two years ago? Three years ago. 
Sporting Kansas City, who has had some struggles in the league but rested everybody up on the weekend, just as Philly did, to get ready for this match. Should be a good one. ESPN2 for that broadcast? Has that been... Has that been that's solidified, that's done, that's confirmed. We need to get that confirmed. I believe it's ESPN2 for the U.S. Open Cup broadcast. It does say that on MLS.com, so there you go. ESPN2, watch ESPN. You'll be able to see the U.S. Open Cup on a channel that most of us get. This is no longer Gold TV. Where was the U.S. Open Cup final last year? I don't recall. There you go. All right, the phone calls are not coming. You guys are done. That means I'm done for the day. Thank you very much to Christian Hennage for stepping uh, for stepping by, stopping by, stopping by, and giving us his Premier League thoughts. Lots to unpack there. Another big weekend coming up. Obviously, uh, as I mentioned, Champions League. We'll get into all of that tomorrow with the results. Bunch of good games today. Keeping an eye on FC Porto versus Chelsea, Arsenal Olympiacos, Barcelona Bayer Leverkusen. Those are some good ones. All right. Follow us on Twitter at Soccer Morning. Morning. Follow me on Twitter at DavisJSN. Uh, anything else, Mr. Hayward? Should I tell anybody else about anything important? Or is that it? I believe that's it. All right. Thanks a lot for listening in, guys. We'll talk to you tomorrow on Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Disappear What I put my